Welcome to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast with Brett, Ed, Fran, Johnny, Matt and Paul, helping you to build more muscle and to lose weight with a hint of banter and a dash of humour. Enjoy this week's episode. Episode number 100 and I think 56, Jonathan Lewis. How are you today, my son? I'm, I'm alright. Come off nights and um, I'm feeling alright. Just have a Sunday dinner and I'm having a coffee now. Are you having a Sunday dinner this late on a Sunday night because your um, circadian rhythm is out of sync because of your uh, sleep weight cycles are not in the kind of typical as you'd expect? No, it's just, just the way the, the day went. However, speaking of circadian rhythms and night shifts and all that, I am, I find, <laughs> do the one night shift. So you're, obviously the first night shift you're up all day and then you're up all night because you do 12 hour nights. <laughs> Then you've got to you've got to take it up with the baby like six in the morning. You go back to bed seven the next morning. It's so twenty five hours. So that coming in from work, awfully hungry, mental, and it's like, but it carries over as well to the next day, and the next and the next night, and you know what I mean. And the next, not on the night shift itself, but in the morning, carries over. It's like hmm. it's only my that's probably my downfall of dieting is that is those days. Is this, uh, I know it's, it's bordering, it's sometimes just bordering uncontrollable. It's bordering on the fact I'm, I'm even contemplating when obviously things are a bit different with this virus of going and get like a McDonald's on the way home. Because I'm always thinking, depending on what you get, it might even be less calories than what I put than I, what I could put away in the house. All right. Okay. That's interesting. So, I mean, I guess there's a couple of things there put out. Like, obviously, in. A McDonald's is is fundamentally not a bad food. So, are you coming when you're talking about McDonald's? You you fundamentally are thinking from a place of a a lower calorie calorie option, but the benefits of convenience as well. Yeah, or finding something I can eat on the way back home that stops me from eating like three bowls zero. So, so are you saying that obviously the night shifts? are causing a lot of issues with kind of appetite management and hunger management. Horrific. It's not like, oh, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. It's like, I've got to eat something now. Must. Mm. The only way I can get away is if I went straight to bed. So maybe I could do that. But I am really hungry. I have to eat. Hmm. Maybe it's just me, like, I don't know. But... No, well, we know we, we, we know there's obviously a solid evidence base around uh, sleep restriction, uh, abnormal sleeping patterns, and hunger management and basically appetite regulation so obviously it makes utterly sense and in line with the evidence base that's out there i'm just interested to see how kind of your own uh perspective on it is i suppose i mean thinking about it a bit later because i'm not i'm not hard diet i'm just i'm probably, I'm probably maintaining more than anything i'm sort of maintaining i'm about 10 pound over what i was in my light dust like whatever that was february was it mm-hmm. march round then about ten pound heavier, so I'm, I'm happy sitting there about two hundred and two hundred eight pound roughly. So it's not like I'm actively really trying to work around it because you could. I can work around it if I wanted to. I just maybe drop a couple of calories during the week, ready for the night shift, or not eat so much before the first night shift, so I can almost save a bit of calories. Yeah. So, so what you're saying is you're you're not particularly um, proactive in mitigating some of these factors that are happening based on you, you obviously your sleeping patterns and stuff. No, not currently. I, w- I will do. I am. You know, sometimes I will try and think. Well, I was trying to do something different. Like the other day, I had I had four pieces of toast, four eggs, 
and four hundred with egg whites. And that is high calories. I think it was like what ended up being like eight hundred or something, something like that with the butter and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right, it's not as bad. I think it's better to have something that's a bit more nutritious, you know, marginally than, than crappy cereal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you are nutritionist, Johnny. Johnny, I would agree with that. That's more, and it's going to fill out with more than a lot of protein. You know, loads of liquid egg whites. You know, we can have like 500 mil and it's like 200 calories and it's quite a lot. Mm. A couple of eggs and a couple of bits of toast and you're all right. And I'm like, and then when I get into that, but when I, as I go to the wedding next year, as I get more, I still a year out, well, just under a year out. And I'm starting from like a 25, 25 pound lighter than I when I started the year before. So I'm starting a way ahead than I was. But I will actively manage it better. Either think the thought is taking something, I take food to work anyway, but taking something to eat either on the way home, that's convenient and easy, even if it's quote unquote crap. You know, it's better to eat 600 calories of shit than it is to eat a thousand calories of not so shit. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If, it's, if you're dieting, you're saving a few hundred calories. And doing that twice over the two nights is 800 calories. Doing that, you know, it's effectively six days between night shifts. So doing that effectively once a week, you know, could make a difference. Well, it will make a difference in the long term. So either doing that or taking something to work to eat before I leave, or obviously having something ready to eat when I'm here to go, or even go straight to bed if that's possible. But if I'm really hungry going to bed, I wake up even more hungry. So am I just pushing that window for uh, back to the next to the you know whenever I wake up eight hours later? So yeah. not solutions. I just not <clears throat> not actively pursuing them in the minute because I'm, I'm I'm hovering around the same weight so I can get away with it at the minute. It does help. I'm running quite a bit, mind. You know, burning a few extra k cows. Yeah. So, yeah. Although I mean, I guess there's a few things as well as that feels like it might be compounding your. Uh, like sleep, effect of sleep or, or lack of sleep, I should say, on your appetite regulation as well. But coming off of the back of a, obviously a quite a long diet, or you know, over the over, over a, a general period anyway, in terms of a long diet, isn't it? I know you've not been dieting completely uh, for a couple of years, but obviously you've been dieting for a good chunk of that time, yeah. um, which inevitably is going to have some after effects as well. And then compounding that with the lack of sleep and this, the dysregulation of kind of sleeping patterns. That's clearly not going to help as well. You've got the effects of the stress and stuff of lockdown and your environment at home as well. So there's quite a lot going on there, which I think is understandable why, even though you're obviously a nutritionist with the education and knowledge, you've obviously as well been through a lot of behavior change type stuff over a long period that you've implemented to kind of get to a point where you are now. Um, There's a lot going on there, but it's still struggling. So I think that's probably a lesson for everyone listening to say that even, I guess, the, the so-called experts or people with experience of it are going to, you know, have have things happen in their lives where they still struggle and they still don't beat physiology. The sleep restriction thing is a prime example. You can't just, oh, I'm nutritionist, so all of a sudden I don't get hungry when my sleep gets fucked up. It's like, well, it doesn't work, does it? I think as you, I think as you learn, and you deal with clients, and you learn obviously about biology, physiology, blah blah blah. I find mentally you're better you're better prepared you know right i know i'm starving i know i'm hungry because of this this and this whether than maybe a lot of general pop wouldn't necessarily understand oh why am i so hungry after nights without you know i have an idea about the circadian rhythms and 
all that sort of stuff. And they're thinking, oh, why? And they beat us up what we're doing it, and they don't understand why. Well, I can go, I know why. It is what it is. I'm not really actively dying in, so I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's not the most, I don't know, it's not the most advantageous thing to do. However, I know why it's happening. I know I can deal with it. I can put things in place to deal with it if I need to. But that's the big thing is, is mentality in this. It's just the same with dieting. It's like when people go to Slimming World, whatever. Oh, I've gained four pounds this week. Not really understanding that. Or you're on your period. Um, you've been stressed. You've eaten more carbs today the night before you weighed. You're only weighing once a week because so you're not getting a true average. Because if they understood that, they wouldn't give a shit about getting four pounds a week of water. It's just this is the knowledge in this. You can, when you get that knowledge, you're, you're mentally in a better place to deal with other things. Because most people know to lose weight tonight or whatever, gain muscle. Even if they said, to gain muscle, you've got to eat more. Well, most of the time, yeah. To lose weight, you've got to eat less. Yeah. I know that's a very simplistic way of thinking it. But people know, don't they? They know what to do. They just, most it's a lot of mental <clears throat> barriers to stop them doing things, isn't it? Cheat meals thinking they can eat what they want, having a cheat day when they're in the calories deficit of like 300 a day, wiped out by a Domino's on a weekend, wondering why they're not losing weight. So it is a lot of mentality. So the more you the more you learn, obviously, the better place you are mentally to deal with shit because nobody's perfect, are they? No. Nobody. No. I mean, top-level bodybuilders, you know, the most conditioned people on the planet, you know, physically, they don't look like that 24-7. And they uh, they do you watch them they they pick out ridiculously them and gaining a, a stone or two in a week it's absurd uh-huh. it's not healthy but even them the most disciplined you'd think the most disciplined people on the planet for diet you know who else can eat chicken and broccoli six times a day and still be sane after it so even they can't sustain what they've got you around even though the perception is they do that's again that's the thing in this like Instagram and Facebook the perception of people who follow as they look like that all year round. Don't get me wrong, there's the odd freak who is in who is in very good condition all year round. Doesn't really have to try, but most people and not any picture you see that's professionally taken, you can almost guarantee they don't look like all year round. Ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time. Mostly, yeah. They, yeah. But yeah. the odd there's the odd freak, yeah, don't get me wrong. But you know, the genetic outliers they are out there, they? but <clears throat> still they don't beat the physiology today. They just, you know, they just maybe eat less of the day. They don't feel hungry, whatever. Just, um, can I just interject? Are you chopping something while you're doing it? Are you just tapping your hands? I think I'm just tapping my hands. Just, oh. I just want to. I, I don't. I can't sit still. That's yeah. Well, that's quite annoying, Jonathan. So maybe I could just ask you to to stop I'll it. There. <laughs> um, what, what one thing? One thing that's probably worth adding on that as well is around. What we also know around uh, sleep restriction or, or restrictive sleep, or people that just basically don't sleep very well, is that they're at a far higher risk as well when they are trying to diet of losing uh, lean body mass as opposed to fat mass. Yeah. So again, another thing to think about if you are someone that basically either has poor sleep, so think about trying to do something or having a strategy in place to improve that, or if you're essentially having sleep restriction because you've got a shit job, um, no offence, Johnny, but obviously your job is fucking up your well-being. Um, Literally shit for shit girl. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, 
obviously it's something to consider your priorities around kind of your, your overall health well-being but also if you're trying to diet the, what it could be having on your body composition because if you're trying to diet to improve your body composition then until you get your sleep sorted it might actually be something that's not even worth considering but i think people probably need to think about that as as almost a realization um yeah. i try to think what study it was um I can't remember, but there was a study a couple of years ago. I don't know if it was a couple of years ago. Maybe it was. I don't know. I think it was. I think it was about 2018 anyway, where um, they took a, a, a two groups, one with calorie, both with calorie restriction. One of those groups, they also had a restricted sleep, and I can't remember what it was, but I think they reduced sleep by like an hour a day or something. Um, so obviously over the week they'd lost something like five six seven hours sleep compared to usual and they showed that the results were across the two groups that they both lost a similar significant amount of body weight however the group that were in a calorie restriction only and not sleep restriction lost more body fat compared to uh the other group that lost obviously the same amount of weight but more of that then had had to be fat mass that they lost um sorry had to be lean body mass that they lost so does show you again and there's that the, obviously that just replicates quite a few of the other or body of evidence that's out there that shows that the restrict restriction not only on appetite and obviously making it harder to lose weight if you're successful and you do end up in a, in a hypochloric state you might um also be losing the type of tissue you don't want to lose aka muscle mm. especially when you've got a baby and you're in lockdown and got no real weight yeah, yeah. and you started running which is like compounding the shit on top of the other. <laughs> I'll be like, but I, I thought this the other day. I'm thinking, <clears throat> right, I'm not Ronnie Coleman. And if nobody knows Ronnie Coleman is listening to this, he's, he was probably the greatest bodybuilder of all time. Imagine being 21 stone on stage with like 3% body fat. Freak. Freak. So I don't carry that much muscle mass, really, in the grand scheme of things. But most average average man doesn't today compared to those guys. No. And again, I've got I've got the bands, so I'm doing my pointless. I am then I didn't I didn't work out once last week with resistance. So I've done one a week on average, maybe two a week. But in my head I'm thinking, all right, if this lasts another two months, if I lose a couple of pounds of muscle mass, is it really a big deal? Really? In the grand scheme of things, I know it's not, you know, you want to keep as much muscle mass as you can to look better. <sighs> That's like muscle memory, getting back in the gym, having that new stimulus. Well, it's not new, but having that stimulus again you haven't had for months. You know, you're going you're gonna to gain it back. So I'm not really that bothered. No. You know what I mean? Well, no. I, 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 I suppose it's worth. Uh, adding in there though there are some things you can do like even if you are sleep restricted and you are looking to lose weight and improve body composition there are still some things you can do to try and mitigate any of those factors of that that we've talked about there so not necessarily the sleep factors but obviously losing lean body mass so high protein amounts is obviously going to help do i think doing any type of resistance exercise is going to have a huge factor at play so you know, you mentioned about your resistance bands there, Jonathan. Um, I think just getting in a any type of volume, really, of that, because obviously we there's plenty of research that shows, and this may not be in a calorie-restricted state or a sleep-restricted state. There's a lot of the research uh, that I can think of anyway. It's just obviously kind of more in, in kind of average um, populations that, that aren't, aren't in those states. 
but just shows that the volume can be literally as like a third of usual volume is enough to maintain muscle mass. So the volumes that are required to maintain muscle mass are incredibly low. So as I say, I think generally, if you're worried about that and you know your sleep's messed up, you, you, you're trying to lose weight and you're trying to improve your body composition, as long as you're still doing some form of resistance exercise above a certain intensity threshold for a reasonable amount of volume, you know, and that is still relatively low, then you're probably going to be all right. And any that you do lose, like you've just said there, muscle memory is a real thing. Um, you're probably going to be able to pick it up when kind of like the gyms reopen again later on if you're worried that you're not getting enough stimulus or, you know, kind of your routine gets a bit, a bit back to normal if you can then sleep a bit better. Again, going back to your scenario, Johnny, a bit of struggle when your job relies on you having these shift patterns and therefore curtails your sleep. But, yeah. yeah. I suppose I'm, I'm relatively lucky with the pattern. And I say with overtime, you know, it depends. If, I, if it's overtime, I'll do it. Like it's four on, two days, two nights, and four off. So you've got the two nights. So in eight days, you're only doing two nights. Mm-hmm. Well, no respect. Then you go the another. It's just really, you got four, you're doing four in 12. Yeah. So it's not that, but every seven, you've got 18 days off. So it's not like you're doing five nights in a row. No. Three uh, third week, which is a three shift pattern. So it's not too bad. Could be worse, a lot worse. But obviously, it doesn't help. You know, ideally, you'd never do nights. No. But, no. Um, I th- Well, I think in some ways, yours is better because of you at least get some kind of, in air quotes, breaks from kind of the yeah. shifts and obviously you've then got some time where you can then get back to a normal sleeping pattern but i guess there's also some elements that it's worse because one thing we do know around kind of good sleep health um is routine and kind of keeping regular sleep and wake cycles um our bodies and our circadian rhythms i mean our circadian rhythm is a 25 hour cycle that gets reset basically every day through exposure to light and darkness now obviously if you're then working and and kind of doing different stuff constantly all that time that's going to affect that circadian rhythm and knock it out of sync which is where we then start to see a lot of these detrimental health effects and things like appetite regulation but also increases to things like cardiovascular disease and 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 other um clinical conditions that increase mortality so i mean i suppose the long story short really here is if you want to look up, yeah, yeah. If you want to, if you want to look after your health and you want a decent body composition, don't do shifts or night work. <laughs> but yeah, it's right, isn't it? Remember something? I think I, I looked at it before. I done a, I done a, a talk for the runners, whatever long ago, two years ago, was it, or three years ago. Even. I got some stuff Martin put on, and someone asked me, but I said, oh, in terms of health and shift work, what's the best thing to do to mitigate the health risk?" I said, "Stop working shifts." I said. I'm sorry, but there's no real anything else that I can say to you apart from that. In reality, because it's isn't shifts classes a casting gem, really? I'm, well, I mean, yeah, I'd 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 imagine there's a, definitely an association. I mean, I'd be honest, I don't know the data, so I can't say for definite. But it would not surprise me in the slightest if there was an association between shift patterns and increased rates of and different types of cancers. Yeah, I think realistically speaking, shift work. Um, Pays more than average. obviously if you work days. Obviously, depend if you work the equivalent role on days, then you're earning thirty to forty percent less. So in reality, most people work for that money, obviously. So, more for most people, do not doing shifts in their role 
because some roles just require that, like working in factories requires shifts, and that's the end of it. Um, it's trying to mitigate everything else. So try and do things in your life that will help mitigate the, the bad scenario of working shifts, as in light shifts. Exercise, make sure you eat a quote-unquote healthy diet, plenty of nutrient-dense foods. Don't be overweight. Um, maybe try and med- meditate. Try and um, handle stress as best as possible. I know that's not easier said than done, but you try and mitigate everything else you can to help with... I'm going to word it. Help maybe offset some of the issues you'll have with night shifts. It's like if you work nights, you're obese, you smoke, you drink, you are probably, well, you are a ticking time bomb. When are you going to die? Obviously, everyone's a time bomb in, in the grand scheme of things, but you're an early ticking time bomb. When are you going to die? Because you will of something there because of the compounding effect of all those things added on top of each other. So, practically, people have to work shifts or do other things that are helpful to you, that will help you live longer, apart from the night shifts. Yeah, I just found a, a paper in The Lancet, actually, that says in June 19, the working group classified night shift work as a probable carcinogen to humans. Mm. Um, so it was The Lancet Oncology. So um, obviously there isn't a cause and effect there in terms of it causes it, but the associations, I guess, is is there... Whether that is because it affects other stuff that indirectly causes people to live a kind of a lower level of well-being, which which yeah. which has some kind of result in increased cancer rates, I don't know. But I mean, it's enough for them to decide that it's there's there's enough association there. So, as you could say, depending on your lifestyle and what you do, people who work shifts, my pattern will work a lot of weekends, so they may not see friends as much. Mm-hmm. Affects maybe affects the mental health. Mm-hmm. People who drink to go to bed in the night, in the morning, which is like I find insane, but it happens. So you've got things like that which are compounding it again. So maybe they end up drinking. Oh, I need one to go to bed, and then I need two, three. You know, as it goes, isn't it? Uh-huh. Maybe they smoke to de-stress, or when they go out, they drink more than they would normally because they missed out maybe three weekends in a row because of work. They eat more. So maybe they're more likely to gain weight. So you would imagine, yeah, obviously those things are a cause of working nights, which then obviously will help. Well, not will help, but it gives you a better chance of um, dying of all causes and of all cause mortality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> we've seen to um, gone on a lot about um your your kind of sleep and shift patterns mate and how it could potentially affect people's uh, progress slash well-being which i think is useful i hope so um so when things get back to normal we said about oh maybe when things get back to normal will people can try to kind of get a lot of this other stuff like their sleep things back to normal um i i don't know if we know but are the gyms open anytime soon are you in July? But I don't know if that's true or not. Yeah, I don't know. But could be. I might be wrong. I don't know. I, I don't know what the latest is on this uh, coronavirus. I've stopped. I've literally stopped looking at it. To be honest. Yeah. Well, obviously we've got an international listenership, so it's going to be very different. But if we're across the world, across the board, but um, in the UK, 
I was just trying to find it now, see if there's any results on it. But I was just interested to see. Uh, it says could reopen in July, so I suppose it's undetermined. But yeah, well, we'll see what. Yeah, I, I, I think the thing is, like for me, there's there's obviously a lot of talk around whether lockdown should continue, whether lockdown should not. I've obviously got my per- own personal opinions about it. Which, if you're a friend of me on Facebook, you'll have definitely fucking seen that. <laughs> but I guess. The government are trying to handle certain parts of the situation, um, but I do feel like there is a, a bit of neglect to some of the kind of other stuff. So I guess things like, I don't know, there's talk about non-essential things opening up soon, like pubs, like the leisure industry and stuff, but not talk about gyms opening other than in in potentially in July, but obviously there's been no further talk of that and July's not that far away now um, that does feel a little bit short-sighted because there is a huge amount of evidence kind of associating exercise with greater well-being uh, kind of immune health which is obviously completely relevant right now um, the ability to to fight off diseases and infections um, to and obviously the, the, the types of people that are more vulnerable to COVID-19 and the coronavirus specifically um, have been seen to have other comorbidities that are a lot of them associated with things like lack of activity, poor diet, um, and just general ill health and ill well-being. Kind of is, could you say that not opening gyms earlier, but with kind of safety mechanisms is a bit maybe missing or, I mean, I mean, I guess there's a lot of people within the fitness industry that we associate with that are obviously have their own businesses. So they have gyms, they have their own, all their PTs that obviously their gyms where they PT from a shut and therefore their own livelihoods are at, at risk. So they're clearly going to be proactively trying to um, promote gyms to, to open and stuff, but that's often the argument, which do you think there's any, any legs in that one? Well, if they open pubs before gyms, I think it's something fucking chronically wrong with the government and the country as a whole. Because how many times have you been in a pub where you're shoulder to shoulder with someone? Mm-hmm. It's probably not. You're shoulder to shoulder. People are tipping drinks away, touching each other's faces, acting like felons, fighting, kissing, whatever else. What's the chance of you getting out in there? If one person had in there, you can pro well, but how many people get in there if one person had it? Probably you're, every fucker. You're missing all the sh- all the schmoozing and the, the late nights yeah. and after parties as well, mate. You yeah, know, what, what what happens when some the young kids nowadays they go out and they have a few drinks? What happens at the end of the night? Who knows? And I'm not just talking a chicken kebab here. Yeah, no type of kebab. <laughs> but like, you know, in gyms they could say, look, look, look at peak hours. Right, peak hours, fair enough. Depending on the size of the gym, could be busy, but you're not ever going to be shoulder to shoulder somewhere in the gym, are you? Like when I go on a day, generally. My gym is a warehouse, so it's it's big, a lot of space. I I could I don't need to be within three, four foot of someone, maybe five foot of someone. And it's like, well, you can keep our space. What's two meters, six foot something in it, six foot odd. Mm-hmm. That gym could probably still fit hundred people with six foot distance. They go right, keep a distance as much as possible. Wipe machines down. Don't neck each other. Don't spit each other. Don't touch each other's faces. I'm hoping none of that happens just generally in a gym anyway. I'm surprised that you have to be explicit in those. I've seen a few people get quite close. <laughs> um, so don't do any of that stuff. Try not to train in groups as much as possible. Train in your own if you can. And then, it, But then in a pub, you can't control someone who is off their head on drugs and off their head on drink. 
to me, if they open gyms, if they open pubs before gyms, then I, pff, I don't know what I don't know what to think. Really, yeah. I'm thinking you're just a bunch of assholes running the government. Well, they are anyway. But we know, we know that already, Jonathan. That, yeah, yeah. We just know that. Obviously, you can understand the the economy side of things. You don't want the economy to collapse and fail. But I know the the pub in the, the whatever industry, the pubs and clubs, obviously generates a lot of money. But so does the fitness industry. Mm. You know, worldwide, was it worth a couple of billion, tens of billions worldwide? I don't know. Well, yeah, but, probably more than that worldwide. Yeah. But, you know, it's not as much as the, as, as the you know, I mean, the pubs and clubs generate for the world, but. You know, if they open pubs and clubs before gyms, it's like, come on. Yeah, it does. It does feel a bit illogical, um, for the reasons you've said. You, you think about opening a gym. The things that they kind of need to do, for the most part, I, I guess there will be some added costs to to gyms. And um, one, I suppose, maybe restrict membership more than maybe they have done previously. Restrict time in the, the gym, um, and obviously have other some change change some of the features of their gym potentially. Plus logistics of things like wiping down equipment, having additional cleaning facilities, and you know all of these things add costs into into their business. But you do feel like they could probably open it reasonably easily. By you know, I've seen things like treadmills having screens, like big perspex screens between them, like you see at the supermarkets and stuff, which that feels like quite easy to do and and quite it's quite simple. Um, not sharing equipment, just have a rule in not sharing equipment. You know, everyone has to wipe down with with special cleaning stuff, fluids. Yeah. Uh, Got a towel with you, wipe sweat off or whatever. Yeah. Well, you probably, yeah. I think probably needs more than a towel. I think you probably have to have like access to something like a specific cleaning materials or or like spray or whatever. Um, I don't really know. There's what's out there in terms of what's efficacious to enough to to clean this stuff because I guess your general anti-back stuff is not going to be good enough. It's going to be some kind of more efficient or effective at, at killing coronavirus than that but um but even things like you know limited membership restricting the amount of time people can be in a gym so like maybe are oh, you get you get an hour or whatever um rather than being able to come in and do what you want that that's probably going to mitigate most risks of people out and then the benefit to people still being able to now go do something they enjoy obviously improve their physical and their mental well-being it feels like why why would you not open a gym or open you know those types of facilities but still open a pub so i don't i actually don't think pubs generate that much money nowadays right probably not not as much as it used to probably people drinking the because it's so expensive these days um, yeah. it's 354 pound a pint yeah. i mean i know i know there's a lot of tax on alcohol but i a lot of pubs obviously struggle to stay open like even prior to this this pandemic because they just couldn't make enough profit to be able to make it a viable business and it's only really the real large breweries now that um have such a wide reach and restrict to their own breweries that they can make profit so just yeah i, I can't imagine it makes actually huge amounts of money for the government and, and it being a purely economic factor as to why puzzling i mean obviously again i'm completely uneducated and ill-versed in in the profits and the tax making uh, or tax revenue generating uh, effic- efficacy of a pub, but that's the thing. The gyms bring as well. People have you have to buy equipment, which obviously they can tax. They buy clothes for the gym, which they tax. Supplements from the gym, which they tax. Accessories to the gym, which they tax. Events that come from the gyms, like CrossFit events, 
in in places they have to rent out, which the business earns money, which they tax. The employment of all the different industries, or which they tax the people on. And there's other things that you'd have a fitter and more healthier public, which then is less of a drain on public health services. As in the NHS, which everybody's been clapping for the last fucking god knows how long. I haven't, to be fair. I got I got bored of it and decided that my street don't seem to give a shit. On oh, my street, I don't live in the street, I live in a cul-de-sac. But anyway, my little cul-de-sac doesn't seem to give a shit anymore because every week there's like one less people coming out to a point where it's just like me outside. So I gave up because I'm thinking no one's listening, it's not achieving anything. And also, by clapping in, I, I do think this, by clapping and bigging up the NHS and making them our superheroes, it's actually getting the government out or, or, or basically relieving the government of any um, accountability almost. Yeah. Everyone will just basically the narrative will be that how good the NHS was and how brilliant it was, and the narrative won't be how underfunded the NHS is and how the government have ill been ill prepared for a pandemic and let sixty thousand people die, even though they knew one would have come at yeah. some point. That's what I mean. So that's why I'm really clapped because I feel like this thing. I'll be honest. Also, if I worked for the NHS, I'd be like, "Thanks for the clap. Where's my fucking pay rise, mate?" Yeah, if I worked for the NHS, I'd be like, "Don't clap me." I want a pay rise to yeah. what I deserve. Or... Platinum doesn't do anything for me. Yeah. Or I would like a fucking plastic shield and a and a surgical mask and gloves, please. And a fucking suit. Thank you, Boris. You know, any yeah. of them would do for now. You sort out my pay rise later, but for now, I just like to not die when I go to work. Yeah. Boris, you fucking retard. Oosh, we're going to get taken down now by the MI6. Yeah. The thing is, people will people, people believe that shit as well. I know. Yeah. Why anyway. was it taken down? Why was it taken down? Because it's dog shit. I like with so many people. Yeah. Not like, but like, what are you talking about? Yeah, open your eyes. I'm like, right, okay. I, I, I made a promise a while ago that this podcast wouldn't get political after the last few times it has. But hey ho, <laughs> hey ho, go fuck yourself. Who cares? <laughs> cool, that's savage. Right? That's weird. Where'd that come from? Um, what I will say is. There are people that I speak to that still think the UK government are doing a good job and that I'm dumbfounded that people actually still have that opinion. But I think but, the... Go on. Just generally speaking, you, you've seen, you, you've seen mm. yourself in school to do it. You've seen yourself on Facebook. People are just... They, have, they don't have the ability... To critically think about anything, what they've done is, like I don't, in the grand scheme of things, I don't tend to mind the conservatives. Some of the stuff that they do, I'm like, all right, I probably agree with that, but some of the stuff I don't. So it's like, like whatever. I'm not particularly any sort of party, but like when you're staunch, uh, whichever party you are, you are blind to what they are doing because you vote of them, so you think oh, I'm wrong. People don't like to be wrong, and they just, don't, I'm like. The stats are there for you all to see, but yet all they come back with, or oh, you must be Labour, or it's it's not it's not about politics. It's, no, it's not about politics, but it's about the government who are paid, well, vastly overpaid for what they do, are uh, giving information, ignoring information, and causing unnecessary deaths, and the biggest death toll in Europe. But then people come back with absolute bullshit, and they they like they post a picture of Boris. Sitting on a, sitting on a or something stressed out. I'm like, yeah, and 
You pay that much money to run the country. Yeah, I say yeah. He, sh- he shouldn't have set to the fucking position of authority if he, he's about an easy life. He's a he's he's an he's gone he's gone his whole political career, and his well working career as an embarrassment. He's a petulant little kid who doesn't like the fact that people are questioning him of his absurd decisions, which are killing people. Like, oh, you can't be nasty to him because he's just a human being. I don't agree. If people say, oh, he needs to die, which I've seen, he's like, no, obviously, clearly not. Like, he is not beyond reproach. And nobody should be in that position who are making, I'm not saying it's a difficult job, because clearly it is a difficult job. But if you've had information from scientists or world leader, other world scientists have gone, actually, what you're doing is a bit shit. You just sort out and you ignore it. Then, unfortunately, you are culpable. If you were in a... Um, private sector job you would have been sacked or you may have even gone to jail for negligence because he's paid by the people and he's, he is who he is he'll get away with scot free and in 10 years all we've got about I think the point you made around critical thinking is 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 fundamentally the issue with people that feel like the government's doing a good job I think so anyway I mean I could be wrong the government maybe are doing a good job however I would say the number of deaths would tell a different story but if you um, and, and I think this is something actually uh, my man Sam Sam Dimmick uh, said. Like, if you are, if you basically if you're only listening to the sound bites and the what is essentially a political party setup meeting every night where they broadcast obviously the updates on the coronavirus on the fucking BBC or Sky News or whatever the hell it's updated on nowadays, um, where they're saying things like we're very proud of our record, we've got world class scientists and we've got um like um industry leading um technology and you know huge levels of testing and all the basic things if you listen to them talk and not actually think about what is evidence in these these sound bites and statements they're making you would think they're doing a fantastic job like he said the other day what we've achieved so far is very considerable that is a direct quote what you mean the highest death rate per capita in I think the entire world, I could be wrong there, but I think the entire world, certainly the highest death rate per capita in Europe. There's obviously the statistics out there that shows that we've got more deaths in the UK than pretty much all of Europe put together. Like, like I don't understand how anyone can consider that a, uh, a very considerable achievement or, you know, we have achieved, uh, what we've achieved so far is very considerable. That... Wasn't it, the original the original thing was if we could be below twenty thousand we've done a good, a good job. job yeah gone what, what I mean deaths beyond sixty thousand well not not officially recorded but if you follow oh, what's his name Chris someone who I follow who is one of the uh, economists for the Financial Times he does a fantastic job of um, showing the recorded deaths the stats in the ONS and then. Um, some very conservative estimates based on excess deaths in the last year five the last five year rolling average to basically have a good idea of how many people have actually died of corona rather than kind of what is just reported and he's probably and and they are conservative as well like the likelihood is that because when they're looking at the excess deaths we've had of things non-corona related they're actually down year on year compared to the five-year rolling average mm. so as in we're we're actually seeing less like seasonal flu and we're seeing less car accidents and we're seeing less other stuff so and they're not really including them in their like this lower figure 
or these low these reasons why there's less other deaths basically compared to a five-year roll on average they're not including them in their estimates so if they were they should actually be estimating higher covid deaths but they're not cleaning now to basically say right we're giving it a bit of a buffer and we're actually got a very conservative estimate of how we were and last time i looked a few couple of days ago it was like 60 61,000 or something was the estimated deaths so triple so these so the aim was it's like saying right to your boss right my aim this year right is to is to get is to earn the company profit of 300 grand and at the end you're going actually boss we lost 600 grand you would have got mate you fucking sacked yeah because that's yeah. shocking yeah. but then but then people obviously were blind they go yeah he's doing a good job so he stated at the start 20,000 would be good you're on 60 you triple you 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 fucked up 300% you wrecked it yeah and so I'm like but people, they go, oh, you're only reading, like, people I've talked to about it, like, you're only reading mainstream media. So, no, mate, I'm not. I'm reading your honest stuff, actual data, and you're giving me stuff from, like, The Guardian or something. I'm like, who's the one that's not doing research for you? But they can't see it. They look at, like, obviously there's certain media outlets are more biased towards certain parties, and they, but that's all they use. So, oh, I use this data all the time. I'm like, okay, but I'm using data that's... Apolitical. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. right, um, it's point it's arguing, it's like, well, whatever. If you think that, you well, whatever. Think what you want. So I'm just I've just found in Chris Giles, uh the latest numbers in case anyone is interested. Um it was from two days ago by the looks of it. I was just saying if there was a more recent one. Uh UK's official daily death toll passes forty thousand. A reminder that the UK excess deaths linked to COVID nineteen stands at sixty two thousand and sixty five up to late May. A cautious estimate of the total excess deaths today is 65,000. And I will show you, Johnny, but other people can't see that, a nice fancy graph mm-hmm. where, it sh- where it basically shows the ONS data with COVID, the, the, the Financial Times cautious estimates, daily announced UK deaths, um, smooth total, and then excess, dates, excess deaths to date from the ONS death registrations, and then compared it against a five-year roll on average. So obviously they're, they're doing a, a good job of being as close as you're going to get given that not everything is reported properly there's time lags and all that sort of stuff to what they are but if that's a cautious estimate and is kind of in the ballpark 65,000 people <sighs> crazy yeah yeah. I mean it might not seem a lot obviously of a country of 66 million people but I'll be honest it is a lot of people like it's it's a lot of people when if one of your like my I, I've had a relative die of it um, a, a distant relative it's like my granddad's brother-in-law whatever that makes him as in my granddad's sister's so, uh, husband died of it but like when you start to get it's like I mean it's, for me it's distant but other people have obviously had more direct family die of it and that's no longer a number and yeah. far, and obviously that that's kind of like well you know it's it's that idea of oh it happened to someone else it won't happen to me well no it will happen to people so Sorry. The, the the place I live in has got a population of 120,000. It's just like wiping out half of them. Mm. You think, well, that's a lot of people, that is. There's a lot of people. You know, in the grand scheme of the, the country, it's not. However, there's 66,000 people, all with, you know, families, you know. So, and people are affected, hundreds of thousands, you know. If mm. you know four people from each person, I mean, you're still on for them in a quarter million people, and it was affected directly. So, I don't know. Well, we've we've obviously talked a lot about uh, a lot of stuff already. 
talked about politics, even though I said we wouldn't. We're certainly not going to get on to the current aspects of uh, the riots and uh, racism, because I feel like neither of us are in any way, shape or form to have an opinion in, in that. So let's just stay off that. However, what are you going to do now, Johnny, with your wedding being moved to May next year? Right. I'm a year away now. Yeah. But what, as I said earlier, I'm not... I am watching when I'm eating. You know, I'm talking about making shit all the time, right? We'll have, you know, a chocolate bar, Expo to see where you're in there. And I'm I'm monitoring my weight twice a week, three times a week. I'm looking right, where am I? And if I see if I see two or something, I'm all right. If I see two one something, I'm like, right, let's pull it back a little bit. As well I'm average up where I am now, two hundred and odd pound, stay here for a bit. I run in. Obviously if it, I've run before. I was when I was younger, I played rugby, football. Um, ran actively when I was when I was my first lost weight. You know, however long I was, so I was seventeen, eighteen. But I thought get into it, get out. You know, it is obviously a good way of burning calories for one. Um, good for your cardiovascular health, and it's good to be fit. It feels good as a different form of cardio or something different. Um, so I've started doing that to offset. I say offset. I don't do it just to offset calories. I do it just because I, I quite I used to like it. I'm getting getting to enjoy it again now. But you know, I've gone for six, seven my runs a couple of times. So I, I run three, three, four times a week. Mm-hmm. So that's I think that's helped. It is helping me. Obviously, you're out the house for longer, so there's a less eating chance of an eating window there. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, well. Um, I- I was just going to add on that your point around I'm not eating foot to kind of like lose weight necessarily or to kind of burn calories, but um, I suppose there is the element of energy flux and kind of having higher energy input and higher energy outputs often are associated with kind of better results than having lower energy inputs and lower energy outputs. Yeah. Um, so and you've also got the elements of improvement in kind of general well-being, physical health, cardiovascular systems, decreased other risk of other mortality types. Uh, you've also got the psychological elements as well. So I I would say like the point oh not just not just doing cardio to burn calories is hugely 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 um, underrated because there's so many other things that are beneficial yeah. to doing some cardio. What I've what I've done as well is if like because it's been good weather than this, we've gone out for a walk, and I can't run every day because I'm, I'm relatively heavy, like two hundred and eight pounds a minute. Squelled, hard work on your knees and your hips and stuff. Even though I don't find it's hurting my knees, it feels like I don't know you're aching from the gym. I feel like my knees are aching like that. So I'll have a, sometimes I'll do like a Monday run and I'll wait till Wednesday, mm-hmm. do a bigger bigger run, and then maybe wait till Friday, see what I am, and then maybe do some intervals on a Saturday, just like a couple like two miles, three miles. But what I've done you know, on the walks, I go on my own sometimes. I I I put meditation stuff on, mm-hmm. and I I try and obviously meditation is about trying not to think about anything, just to be present, as they say. And there's a bit whiffy waffy in it, but I like it. Just go on there, go out in the street, and it's, it's quite sunny. Like it's on the night, it's like 19 degrees. Stick that on, and I'm quite relaxed about it. it makes me relax. Just walk, walk wander on the streets or up the woods, and that's another aspect of. Healthy, isn't it? being relaxed and being present and trying to manage stress. Not that I'm a stressy bloke anyway, but so I've been doing that as well. So running, a um, bit of extra walking. So last month of May, I done 570,000 steps. 
wow. which is 262 miles. And apparently, obviously, take it to the pinch of salt, but uh, I burnt 35,000 calories and I was active for 180 hours. So I had at least 10,000 steps in every day, apart from one Sunday. Um, so with the max, I think the max test, it was 30,000, I think, 30,000 steps in one day. So I, I'm trying to keep activity high, as high as, as practically possible, not like really over the top, because my job is active anyway, but keep it high. So if I do eat a bit more, it's, it's not the end of the world. Keep your activity high, and then <clears throat> I haven't decided on any time frames really, but I'll probably make more of an effort from now, moving forward, try and get in the 190s in the next two or three months, and then do it in blocks. That's my plan, because I think really in my head I need to be 170, maybe less, or probably less. Everyone thinks it'd be heavier than they are, and it's just probably going to be less. If I aim for 170, I probably need to be 160. Yeah. Well, we, funny enough, we've got an episode coming up next week with Lou Brearley. Uh, Brearley? Brearley? I think it's pronounced Brearley. I don't know. I'll ask, when, I'll ask him when we speak to him. But to talk about that exact topic around expectations of weight loss and almost what you just said there. So let's not, we won't spoil it because obviously hopefully it'll be an interesting episode next week. But Because people do, especially for weight loss, they think they've, they've got less to lose than they have and they are... Uh, drastically wrong most of the time just like people are drastically wrong with how much muscle they gain yeah. or they've got oh I've lost loads of muscle they ask you find a lot with men where there's an ego on it yeah. I've lost the muscle I'm like no you haven't you've just lost all the fat and the size you had was just fat and water with some muscle underneath yeah because so, I, I don't I, I don't think people realise it's, it's you're not going to lose a shitload of muscle if you're resistant to training your protein takes decent you're sleeping, you know, you're sleeping relatively well. You're not as if you're going to lose in pounds and pounds of muscle. Mm. So I think, but we think they assumed because they, they're so small. Like, um, you've seen 70 stone men go to 13 stone because they're four stone, really. They're three stone overweight because they, they look big in shirts and they're a bit bulky. No, I'm 70 stone. I've lost loads of muscle. No, you've just lost all the fat you had. And that's the same with everyone, isn't it? Yeah. Everyone's the same. My aim is 170-ish. I'm probably going to be like that. Now, one one thing I just you kind of pick up at the start. You said about how you're weighing yourself maybe two or three times a week. Um, is and I suppose that is that is for the reason of what you said in that you can then kind of monitor any because you've obviously not been overly strict in a lot of your other um, strategies for weight loss in terms of like yeah. you're not you're not measuring necessary calories or sticking to strict calorie limits and stuff like that. You're just kind of trying to stick to some kind of more um, qualitative type of behavioural stuff. Yeah. You the the fact that you'll be able to weigh then means that if you do start to see them going in a in a direction that you don't want to don't want it to see because obviously you're trying to either kind of maintain or lose weights in certain periods, you can then just make some adjustments, I guess. No, hundred percent. I just I just keep one. I'll do that and I and I look in the mirror every now and again because I I fluctuate a lot of water and a lot of bloat. Actually, I will notice that. Like I'll eat. Like I can I can look. I can look like a stone heavier on a different day than what I am just because I bloat. Mm. I, I, my diet's relatively consistent with what I eat. And sometimes I just bloat a 
lot more than others. And I can go from like, actually, I look, I'm still looking all right. And I go, Jesus Christ, getting a bit fat there. Yeah, you said before. But then the other, then the day after, I'm like, okay, I'm back to normal. But I think I, I do fracture a lot of water. I don't really know what it is. I, but then again, I've never really tried to pinpoint it. Like, I, I think it may be caffeine doesn't really, um, I think caffeine causes me some issues. So I could give it to that, but I'm not, I'm not entirely bothered at the minute. Mm. But having the, having the scale to look actually right on this weight, and then looking, even like the simple things, you're looking at certain veins, right? That certain vein is there. I knew it came about roughly this time, and I know I didn't have it when I was X weight. So I know why that's still there prominent. I know I'm fairly, I know it's, that's not very accurate, but gives me another data point. Yeah. As well, th- you know when your hips for me, I you think, oh, this feels a bit, I know it's really weird, no, you can't, it's, like if I start to walk, I feel, oh, I don't feel right in this top, like my hips feel a bit funny, I, and then I will, I'll bring my carriage in a bit, and then, a couple of days later, it feels better, I know it's like, you're not going to lose much in a couple of days, but it's, the, it's that, I know it's a little bit of a, I know, a tipping point in there, like, oh, you're going yeah. over, too much to yeah. going back beyond it and going right I'm right there I think, I think a lot of people worry around the scale weight and the kind of psychological aspects of whether there's some negative outcomes because people are obsessed or looking at self-worth and numbers and stuff which clearly there is some associations with that in some people but I don't I don't think scales and I don't think I'm speaking out of ignorance here I might be I don't think I am but I don't think there's much there's there's actually kind of association of or, or sorry or causation of that scale weights cause psychological issues so kind of eating disorders or psychological issues around kind of self worth and things like that. It's probably more the other way around in that those people with eating disorders yeah. um, obviously tend to focus on the scale weight and that type of stuff quite often, and then therefore you know that number and their association then with their their own self worth or their own happiness. But I think when you look at the the actual literature, say like systematic reviews that are around kind of self weighing or, or regulation of kind of weight management and stuff, they're, they're, the the evidence does show that it is significantly positive associations between people that self weigh and having better results in terms of weight loss, um, but also being able to maintain that weight loss and not then rebound. As, and also negative psychological outcomes rather than what people like seem to think that having this kind of association with the scales is, is a negative thing in terms of eating disorders. It's just, it doesn't seem to be the case in the evidence. So I, I've, there's something that I've, I, I've said, I would encourage people to weigh regularly for that reason. And obviously the experience you've just described. I would say so as well. I think the people, people I've caused in the past, if they've had issues with, they perceive that if they're overweight, then they're less of a person. They don't feel that. And those sort of people, they will grab it to the scale and go, oh, I've gained three pounds today. I said, you've lost 200 new years. So who gives a shit mm. what it says? You've lost, clearly lost weight. And it's just, it's very, well, for them, it seems to be very difficult to get on the fact that actually scale weight is just a number. Yeah. You stack four men next to that, all the same weight, all the same height. You take... All, all different races because you see genetically they genetically different but four men of 200 pound together what so different they could be someone who doesn't train someone who, who trains someone who's a marathon runner look out enough you're not going to be a 200 pound marathon runner generally you but four people 
same weight, same height, they would look different. I, I like I've said I've said I've said with before, right? If I told you, right, you could go from a size sixteen, whatever, to your ideal size eight, you stay the same weight, would you be happy? Yeah, I'd love it. So why do you care so much about those scale then? Yeah. Just, just, just you, just you focus on a number. That's it's not irrelevant. It just gives you another point of data, doesn't it? But it's right. It gives you something to go. Right, and that weight. I know it's a bit more difficult for a woman because of periods, and that really messes the scale up. But if you can go on average, right, this this time last month when I was on, I know it's a bit of a crude way of saying it, but I was this weight. Today I'm this weight. Right, I'm roughly the same. Okay, I know where I'm at. It's just use as a, you almost got to detach yourself from everything, right, just a number. That's giving me feedback of what I'm doing. Am I doing it correctly or not? Or do I need to adjust something either way? Yeah. But dieting, it's obviously it's made more difficult than by the industry in it really but <clears throat> yeah I was, I was gonna just say i mean clearly the people or people that ha- do suffer from eating disorders disorder eating may, then it might be a better solution for them to remain away from the scales yeah. uh, albeit that isn't the only solution because some people will be able to be educated and then detach that kind of emotion from scale weight once they understand the the kind of transient nature of scale weight and water and and digestive waste and other stuff and that most measurements aren't anything to do with actual body fat changes which is clearly what most of them worried about in reality but just don't really see so um that being said there are some people that are obviously suffer with psychological issues and and eating disorders and they they shouldn't be weighing themselves but i think for the most part for a generally for want a better phrase healthy individual then then I think what's regular weighing is is actually quite normal and quite useful. It's just, a, it's just another data point, isn't it? Yeah. You feedback for where you, for where you want to go, where your goals are, where you are now, what you need to do to get there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're going to go in block stages, diet breaks, that type of stuff between? Yeah, I think so. That's the way, because I'm, I think, I'm, generally people who diet, I'm, I'm in a far better psychological state for dieting than probably 99% of dieters and yeah. not picking up but like when you're younger you worry about things you like it's just irre- not irrelevant but now you just don't bother you know I know what I need to do yeah. I know I'm not in the best shape now but it's like well i got a year to sort it out um, and I shouldn't and I know how to diet and I won't get stressed about a couple of pounds on scale of weight going up but I, I, I know how consistently good are you going to um, map out quite strictly kind of the periods that you're going to go through from, from kind of dieting to breaks and stuff like that? Or are you going to kind of be a bit more um, auto-regulated on it? I'm going to be more auto-regulated. And what I'm going to do for the most part, I am going to try and not to follow on if it fits your macros way of doing it. I'm going <clears> to... <throat> Stick to his. I'm not saying I'm not going to eat shit now and again, but I'm going to for ninety percent of the time at least ninety or least that just try and stick to quality mm-hmm. nutrient dense foods and not go right. I've got whatever make a stupid I'm, meal yeah. just because I've got forty grams of carbs left and twenty grams of fat or whatever. I'd rather <clears throat> try and track as little as possible. So then obviously that dictates then then your flexibility will come in a bit because you stick to food you know like a pepper is a pepper. 
you know, if it's small, medium or large, you know, the calorie fluctuation is not that big, but it is a pepper. You know what I mean? It's like if you have a piece of cake, you can't really from a shop, there's just no way of, you can guess, yeah, you can get all you want, but you're not going to be accurate. So you're, you're giving yourself a bit more mm-hmm. biting, more strictly then. You can get away with not tracking. I find it easier, it's easier not to track because you can eyeball things like four eggs is four eggs, isn't it? Yeah. Or the three yeah. eggs. You know, it's, it's easy. Like the, the Bibles have got it right in that respect, isn't they? That's not right for everyone, but right, I'm not losing weight, I'll cut an egg out yeah. or whatever. There's also, the, I suppose, the, the body literature out there that shows kind of um, lowering food variety and lowering palatability or not lowering palatability but avoiding hyperpalatable rather than because yeah. low lowering palatability makes it sound as though you are literally bodybuilding chicken broccoli and veg which is obviously not really correct uh, in in what you're saying it's probably more a case of just avoiding those hyperpalatable stuff more because we know that they tend to disrupt appetite regulation cause more cravings stuff like that so basically more successful dieters again are associated with people that kind of stick to similar foods have less food variety and eat less hyperpalatable stuff generally um because that that being said you can very much do if it fits your macros and if you can control those macros you'll lose this and and essentially have pretty similar or the same body composition as someone that didn't that ate the same calories but you might just find it harder because of the appetite regulation and the kind of stimulation of appetite that shit junk foods do for you so yeah 100% and I think you know if you equivalently if it fits your macros and um, you stick to like nutrient dense foods I think like for the same calories I would rather get more micronutrients in by following the, the, the stricter approach, you know, because if I got a chronometer app and it tells you, which is quite good for dieting <clears throat> and actually what nutrients you're getting in, because obviously my fitness pal, this is obviously this is similar, but this chronometer is it's a lot more in depth. You can go right. You you, you tend to look at what nutrients you're getting in as well. You're looking right. I need vitamins whatever i need some more vitamin c or vitamin d or ve whatever mm-hmm. and you look at it gives you a week average over this week you've averaged this of each of each you end up going right i need to pick a food now that gives me that nutrient that i want that i'm not deficient in but you're not quite it in the rd yeah, yeah. so then you go right there's the base diet that i've got this is what i'm going to do anyway the plan is just that's the base diet i've got these are the foods i'll need to put in to hit all the micronutrients because because really you're better having for the equivalent diet if you can get more micronutrients in then you should I'm not saying you should you know super um what, what did I say super like super dose not, not like a like a multivitamin whatever but if super dose it but if you can get more quality nutrients in your diet then you're going to be carry for carry better off yeah not well, at loss but in terms of overall health yeah I, I i had a conversation with mel fudge our long time nearly said favorite listener now she is come on i'll say that i should be this she'll be made up now i said that i had a conversation with mel yesterday about these uh, i don't know if you've seen them but funky flavored digestive biscuits they're like touch uh, marmalade on toast strawberries and cream and what's the other one? Oh, cherry bakewell and she asked me what my thoughts were i said i haven't had one yet 
And she's like, what? I can't believe I had one. And I said, oh, I'm dieting, aren't I? So I haven't, I haven't decided to have one. And she, she, obviously, she was only being facetious and, and basically picking, picking fun at me. But she said something like, you do know that as long as you're in a calorie deficit, you can still have a biscuit or two, you know. And I replied and said, like, lol, yes, I do know that, Mel. Um, but I've chosen not to because it might not be in my best interest, which is basically kind of alluding to the same as what we've just talked about in terms of just because you can and i've said this enough times just because you can have that type of stuff and to lose weight it might not be best for you to do so because of the other nuances and and kind of the multifactorial stuff that comes with dieting and adhering to a to a diet adhering to a calorie deficit it's a lot more complicated than just saying stick to your macros and away you go because not everyone can so 100 that's my is to get more nutrients in because if you have some like I don't know. If you have whey protein, you mean it's not. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with it, like, but having that or you know having a chicken salad. I think now I'd rather have a chicken salad just because it's it's more whole food. It's more likely to fill you up because you're chewing on it and it's it's more voluminous. So I'd, I'd rather go that way and try and get as many nutrients in as possible. Um, keep the running up, and then as I I'll monitor my weight as I've been doing, take measurements every so often, and then a few months out I'll get stricter. If I have to, I'll go, I'll do that. Um, the old Lyle McDonald uh, hardcore rapid fat loss. Yeah, if I, I have to, I, I can't believe you just mentioned his name after the shit he put me through this week on my Facebook. Oh, I did, I did briefly see that. Yeah, yeah. the man who shall not be named there. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah. uh he's he's different he's, um, he's a intelligent man but he's a bit of a knob yes um i'll be honest i wasn't offended in any way shape or form but i think he 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 got the wrong end of the stick i think and just went off on one without realizing what was going on hence the numerous replies saying what the fuck is this this character on about so anyway if anyone's interested have to go look at my facebook to find that out now won't they? um should we wrap up there J dog yeah, wrap I think, it up. I think we've done a done a long one there. Look, an hour five. Well, um, hopefully it's of use. It's a slightly different episode and a bit of kind of ad hoc rambling, but hopefully people found it mildly entertaining um, and mildly informative, uh, even the pol- political part or the politics part. So don't forget your cheese, NNN10. Go buy some Eat Lean. Um, keeps the podcast going. Um, anything else to add? What? No? Anything else to add? No, I, I don't think so. All right. Well, if not, then I guess I'll see you on the other side. The other side of this podcast, yeah. Probably. Thanks for listening to the No Nonsense Nutrition Podcast. We'll speak to you all next week. <laughs>